When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hey guys, welcome to this very special episode of TFL Talking Cars. And as always, it's myself and me, my son Tommy. And today we're going to be talking about Subarus. And more specifically, we're going to be talking about why they are the best and Tommy the worst off-roaders you can buy. Yeah, I'm a little confused about this topic, but let's let's start talking about it. Yeah, and we'll explain that as this podcast goes on. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for watching. Sit back and relax or keep driving if you're driving. TFL Talking Cars is on the air, the world's most popular car podcast. Okay, maybe not yet, but we're working on it. Before we explain it, let's talk about the history of uh, Subarus and four-wheel drive and all-wheel drive because Subaru has a prominent role to play in that. And not maybe 15 feet that way is a 1978 Subaru DL that we bought about a month ago uh, and recently took off-roading in Moab on a relatively difficult off-road course obstacle called Fins and Things, right? It's a classic Moab um, trail where it tests the vehicle's approach, departure, breakover, its all-wheel drivability, its low range, and those are the things that make a Subaru good and bad off-road. Um, and I was actually super surprised that this 1978 Subaru was able to actually complete the entire test that we set out for it. And I think it kind of clarified everything I believe in Subarus. Now, let's be clear here. Over the last 10 years, Tommy, me and you have taken pretty much every car that has been made that can go off-road, off-road. Every car. Yeah, for sure. And I'm talking about everything from Jeeps to pickup trucks to Toyotas to even stuff we probably shouldn't have been taking off-road, things like, you know, Kias, you know, pretty much anything with either an all-wheel drive or a four-wheel drive system we've taken off-road. Uh, and so I, I think we're in a unique position to judge which cars perform off-road and which cars don't perform off-road. Uh, but before we get to all that, let's kind of talk about that old DL that we own and why it was significant in the development of all-wheel drive cars in America. Well, if you want to talk about Subaru, yeah. the, the company itself dates back, you know, to the 1950s. Um, they're a very old... Or is it Subaru? Yeah, very old Japanese auto manufacturer. And Subaru of America was founded in 1968. And the first vehicles they imported were these small, little, basically bubble cars. 
Cheap and ugly. Yeah, cheap and ugly. It was their camp- that really was their advertising campaign, yep. cheap and ugly. And do you remember the story of the uh, gentleman who founded Subaru? Yeah, the guy who basically started uh, with um, uh, Bricklin. The guy who conceived of Bricklin yeah. was uh, the, the, the importer the importer of Subaru. Exactly. That, yeah. And I can't recall his name right now. Right. So I shouldn't say founding. Founding is obviously wrong. Right. Found, so he's, the company, he's, he's the importer. Yeah, he was the importer of these... Very affordable, very small um, two-stroke cars, actually, into the U.S. in the in the 1960s. And if you look at some of their old advertising campaigns, they're hilarious. I remember seeing the ad where where you know this woman is trucking down to the beach, and it's Subaru, right? <laughs> cheap and cheerful, right? Was no, it cheap and cheerful? Cheap, cheap and ugly. It wasn't even cheerful. It was no, cheap it was and ugly. Cheap and ugly. Yeah. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Can you imagine that today? A campaign, an advertising campaign, national campaign, where you know today's Hondas are cheap and ugly. Just wouldn't fly. Now, the the real establishment of Subaru as we know it today, though, really came in the 1970s. So, the, the cars that they imported in the U.S. stopped being these basically <laughs> little cubes on wheels and started to compete more with real automobiles that could do highway speeds. Yeah, what what made Subaru? I mean, if there's one word that I would use to describe Subaru from the very get go is quirky, right? It's always been quirky, whether it's the fact that it has a boxer engine. Or the fact that the design has always been kind of, you know, to the left or right of mainstream, uh, to the fact that they've always kind of danced to their own tune, right? right. Never following mainstream. Um, quirky is, I think, the best word to describe them. And the, the thing I want to mention here is a Subaru that we bought uh, was owned by one woman here in Boulder. Well, we're not there yet. Okay, we've okay. got a long way All to right. go. All right, I'll, I'll hold off on that story until you. Get there. So in the 1970s, Subaru started importing a vehicle called the Leon, as it was known around the world. And that's kind of the vehicle that really established the foothold with Subaru here in the U.S. And it was available in a bunch of different configurations. So same basic platform, but they had a coupe, a sedan, uh, a station wagon, you know, your your typical four-door family car, all sorts of different body styles. But, But the one that was most significant came to the U.S. in 1974 as a 1975 model year, and that was a four-wheel drive station wagon. So if you look at the, the cars sold in the U.S. in the 1970s, you had Volkswagens. Yep. Hugely popular, right? Yeah. Small commuters. You're talking driven. about foreign cars, not American No, no, cars. no. It just, just in the U.S. Right. The, the Volkswagen was one of the best-selling cars in the U.S. Yeah, in the 70s. yeah, especially the Beetle. I mean, the Beetle was super popular in yeah, the 60s, 70s. And then, and then you had the whole line of American boats, right? Yeah. So everything from Caprices your, your to your LTDs. Your grandfather had an LTD. Yeah, LTDs, exactly, to Cutlasses. And they were Big. Uh, huge, heavy. By the 1970s. 70s emissions clogged. One wheel drive. Yeah, rear wheel drive, open diff. So yeah. one wheel drive. And um, and then you had Subaru uh, come in along with the other Japanese manufacturers, right? So starting in the 70s, you saw this huge emergence in the 60s too, but primarily the 70s. Yeah, Honda came in with the Civic basically. Yep. It was a CVCC. Toyota came with the Corolla. Yep, Brian, Camry, Camry, yeah, started yeah, coming yeah, on the scene. Yeah, exactly. And among those waves was Subaru. Uh, Subaru was different though because. They didn't do things the traditional way, right? They they didn't just simply have small inline four cylinder engines, front wheel drive. Uh, when the the Subaru that really became famous was the four wheel drive wagon in 1975, and it was a complete departure from anything on the market because not only did it have a very small flat four, but it also had the ability to power all four wheels with the flick of a, of a lever. Yeah, let's talk about the history of four wheel drive and all wheel drive. And the difference between the two, by the way, all-wheel drive is 
uh, a vehicle that does not have a low-speed transfer case. In general, that's what the definition is. And a four-wheel drive vehicle does have, but that's been muddied. But in general, that's just a very simple. Don't, don't, don't get picky on me. I know. Just, I would even, I would even make it simpler than that. Yeah. If you have to pull a lever or flick a switch to engage four-wheel drive, yeah. that's four-wheel drive. If it's if it's running all the time with all four wheels, I think it's, it's a different. I think the transfer case is what makes. Yeah, but the this difference. doesn't have a transfer case. I, it, that's right. But I'm saying in general, a transfer case, a truck will have. A traditional low-speed, low-range transfer case, so that's four-wheel drive, whereas an Audi will not. Uh, anyway, um, so 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 Subaru came in with these uh, four-wheel drive cars, which in today's terminology will be all-wheel drive cars, because at that point it didn't have a transfer case, right? That ours doesn't have a transfer case. Yeah, but it is real four-wheel drive. Anyway, it's, you, it's, you, it's, let us know in the comments below. This is a conversation we've had for the last ten years, and we're not going to solve it today. Uh, but let, let me go back to the history. So the first car that actually had four-wheel drive available was the Jensen Interceptor. That was first the first car. car. That was the first car. Now, we're not talking about trucks. We're not talking about Jeeps, right? Jeeps are their own thing. The first car. Yeah, the FF. But it was a super limited run, uh, very expensive, basically Grand Tour, a British Grand Tour. Right. And so, so when, when this Subaru, our Subaru, wagon DL was purchased. It was purchased because the woman who was a scientist here in Boulder at the National Center for Atmospheric Research in 1978 wanted a car that was four-wheel drive where she didn't have to go and lock the hubs manually, which is what you would have had to do at that time in a pickup truck or uh, in a Jeep. Right. And and the other four-wheel drive options back in the day would have been a CJ, a Scout, right. a Blazer, what, locking, a Bronco. Locking hubs. Yep, and the way those work is two-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive, yep. then you pull a lever to four-wheel drive, but to actually get the front axle to come alive, you have to get out Unlocked and turn up. these little knobs. And I had a Suzuki Samurai, and if you ever do that in the snow, it's a pain in the butt because snow gets packed in there and you can't turn it and it's cold. It's, anyway, so she wanted a vehicle where you didn't have to do that. Uh, and this is, of course, before the AMC Eagle, which came along later. So a lot of people are like, when we did that video in Moab, by the way, you should watch that. It's a Amazing job you did, Tommy. I was amazed by how good that car was. Uh, but yeah, yeah, a lot, a lot of people are like, well, how about the AMC Eagle? You know, that, that, that came along after the Subaru. So Subaru was a pioneer in the world and in America with, and I'm, it's called, because the, the car has the four wheel drive logo on it, right? It says four wheel drive, but I'm calling it basically all wheel drive. I, I'm sorry, did I got to, let, let's dive into this rabbit hole for just a no, second. No, I don't want to dive into the rabbit hole. If you I, have I don't to pull a lever hole. to make it go, I don't. I don't, know, the, I don't want to talk, pull back because it's, the, the it's problem with not pull, no, drive. no, no. The problem with pulling levers is now in a truck you push a button, you spin a rotary dial. Don't, don't go if down you, the okay, lever. Okay, what route. about this? If you have to do anything to make all four wheels get power, it's four wheel drive. Uh, it's if you have a low speed transfer. But case. this doesn't have one. It doesn't. And it's proper four wheel drive. It's not. It By is. my definition, it's not. Your definition is wrong. I'm no, sorry. My, it's defi- a bad my definition. definition is a definition. I actually went and asked. A boatload of automotive journalists, and these are respectable automotive journalists who have been doing this their whole lives. I went and asked them specifically how they would define all-wheel drive versus four-wheel drive, and all of them said, all of them without one said it's the, they didn't say it's a push, a lever, it's a push, a button. They said it's defined by a low-speed transfer case. Well, okay, what about this? Silverado, the new Silverado, doesn't have a low-speed transfer case. Is that four-wheel drive? Yeah, it does. What do you mean? No, not you can get it without a low-speed right, transfer case. Right, but there's always exceptions. Right. right? You can and this is an exception. The Subaru is an exception. exception, but it's 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 it, that's why I keep calling it all-wheel drive and Subaru is four-wheel drive. Anyway, anyway, ever since then, Subaru has had 
a reputation for building these quirky four-wheel drive, all-wheel drive cars, right? And there's a bunch of them, right? And we've owned a bunch of them. Uh, so let's talk about perhaps the quirk. There's actually three that were super quirky, and I'm going to go in quirkiness order uh, with number one being the quirkiest, right? Okay. So number three, I think, probably was the XT. Okay, so... That was an 80s car right? that looked like a giant wedge. So we should explain that our car has round headlights, right. and it, it looks pretty dopey looking. Right. It's got yeah. four round headlights. It's got this weird belt line that's yeah. got this curve in it. Starting in, in the early 1980s, we saw the second generation of Leon come along, yeah. and those became very angular, yeah. right? So where the 70s was kind of a, just a dopey thing. But, in yeah. the 80s, they became angular, and that's when we got to see the, the, the Subaru really come to life in the U.S. So we had the Leon, but one of the most famous ones was the XT. Which I looks like it was a, famous. I think one of the most. I mean, if you're not into it, was, it was. I, I had a cousin who had a friend who had one. Uh, they weren't famous. They were just kind of weird. Well, uh, it looks like a doorstop. It looks like a doorstop, and and its claim to fame was that it had this LED display. Uh, that was really kind of unique, and actually it looked like a little bit like an early video game. If you can, if you can imagine what like Pac-Man looked like, it was like that in the display, and it had all the controls uh, mounted so you could reach them easily on the on the basically on the binnacle. Yeah, and the other thing too is it was jet <laughs> jet fighter inspired. Yeah. So the transmission selector looked like a joystick. And what was on top? There was a cool little button. Yeah, for to engage for real drive. drive exactly. And the important thing that by the way we want one of those. So if you know of one. Uh, that's for sale. I've been looking for one. Uh, they're hard to find. The important thing to note about all these 70s and 80s Subarus, right, is that they're front-wheel drive when you drive them around every day. Yeah. So they're not four-wheel drive unless you need them. They really do operate like a truck. So when you go to the, the grocery store and it's dry or when you drop your kids off when it's dry, it's just a front-wheel drive car like any other Japanese car. It's not until you get to snow or dirt or mud that you click the button on top of the uh, – Well – of the shifter or you pull a lever, and then that's when you have a, uh, a permanent four-wheel drive. And before I get to the number two quirky car, the other thing, that, there's actually a couple things that make Subarus unique. Just like a Porsche, it's got a boxer engine, right, so that the cylinders are horizontally opposed, right? In a four-cylinder, they go like this. In a Subaru, they go like that. The podcast people don't know what you're doing. Up and down, left and right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> uh, and so I think it's the only other major manufacturer that still has boxer engines. Uh, and there, it does a couple other things for the, for the vehicle, right? It puts the nice thing about a boxer because the, the, the pistons go horizontally is it puts the weight down low. So if you're building a sports car, which the XT was, it wasn't an off-road car, right? It was a sports car. Uh, it put the weight down low, giving it better handling. Um, and, and in a lot of ways, Subaru was way ahead of you know all these other vehicles that eventually became all-wheel drive and had low centers of gravity. Well, sure. Yet, there's one other way that it was ahead, and, and the XT was a perfect example of that because the engine had had two different. You could get it in two different configurations, which was really unique at the time. Yeah. So I mean. Turbocharging. Exactly. That was a big deal. Yeah, back Subaru in the day. was one of the first ones to actually start turbocharging there. I think I think we should say turbocharging normal cars. So turbocharging was right. around for a long time. Yeah, the nine eleven. The nine eleven was turbo was yeah, around. Yeah, but a long like time. Saab and, and Subaru especially. Yeah. Um, and even later Toyota did some stuff in the eighties with turbocharging. But I think the interesting thing about the nineteen eighty Subarus. Yeah. We got the XT right. Yeah. Talked about the XT. Talked about the Leon. Yeah. Um, they were great off road. But I don't think they were intended to be really great off-road. Because if you look at the advertising from the 70s and 80s, it's always a car driving through snow or or it's a Subaru will take you where your other car can't. But the key is, is even if you read like the owner's manuals, 
<laughs> they just happened to be really good off-road. People well, figured this out in the 70s because yeah. they were very lightweight. Well, because they were the only cars you could take off-road. And when I mean cars, I mean they were the only non-Jeeps and non-trucks you could seriously take off-road. And after we posted that video of the little guy going up and over fins and things, everybody was like, hey, I had one of those, you know, and it was unstoppable in the snow. Uh, and at that time, like I said, your grandfather LTD, which had one-wheel drive, and I can't tell you growing up in Chicago how many times I spent trying to push that thing up our driveway or push it you know, down the road when there was snow because a one-wheel drive, rear-wheel drive car has no traction, basically. Right. It was. I mean, yeah. you look at the videos it's from like the 70s. It's like all you hear is like, <laughs> right, the, the, the one wheel spinning. That's all you ever see in those videos. Yeah, and if you wanted to get through those conditions, you'd have to buy a CJ, which would be basically like a, a, a shopping cart on the road. Right. Horrible to drive. Or you could buy a Subaru. All right, so number two on their quirky scale. What? Your grandma had this. What car was it? This isn't, no, we can't go into this one yet. Why? Just because we're not, we're not at this area. Yet. We gotta, we gotta you, wait. You keep talking about, about. We're still in the 80s. Don't go to the 90s yet. We're still in the 80s. All right, all right, all right, um, so eventually, what happened, though, I think, is uh, these supers were being used in, in off road terrain, right? Well, people used Without them. Without the lower. People used them in places like, you know, you, you didn't buy Subarus in Florida and California. Well, they were huge in the Northwest. Right, northeast. exactly. They were huge in any. Anywhere with snow. Anywhere with snow or anywhere with mountains. So Subarus got a foothold here in Colorado and Montana and Wyoming. And, of course, they had a huge foothold up in. In the north, east, right, Maine, Vermont, Connecticut, New York, places like that. But they, they established themselves. The interesting thing is the vast majority of the marketing and is northwest going, too, actually. Yeah, I said northwest yeah. is going through snow. But then in the eighties, Subaru decided, you know, let's take it up the next level, and they installed a, a low range transfer case right. in their cars. And, and we actually also had that car, right? Yeah, we called the Max. I bought him when you were uh, just a baby, and it was your pair. We had no pair for you at the time, and it was her car. And basically what the low-range transfer case does is it multiplies the available torque so that that little tiny low-powered four-cylinder now has the ability to go very slowly but go just about anywhere. And I think that's really where um, the vehicles became super capable. So like our 1978 car was never available with it. Very good off-road, but it's very limited by the small amount of torque. But Max had it. In the 80s, yeah, exactly. They, they, they incorporated this thing, which is unheard of. I mean, really, there's not a single car, car, not truck or SUV today, available with a low-range transfer case. It's yeah. one of the only ones in history that has one. Subarus always dance with their own drummer. And what Max was an 80s wagon with square headlights, right? It's like right? an 84. Yeah, with, with square headlights. And the other thing that made it unusual, which the DL also has, is that the uh, spare tire was mounted right on top of the engine, which is kind of weird. It's not great for a spare tire to be always that hot. And then in the late 70s, things, <laughs> That's true. things get even crazier, right? Yeah. With the introduction of the, uh, what was it, bi-drive recreational all-terrain transporter. That's number one on my list. Yeah, so we're, we're going there because we're in the 80s. All right, you want to talk I'm over, about that? I'm overwhelming you, yeah. So that, yeah. of course, is the Subaru Brat. Right. And basically what they did is they chopped the back off a station wagon <laughs> and made a teeny-weeny pickup truck. But because of the chicken tax, because line. of the chicken tax here, which which puts huge taxes imported trucks, yeah. they added these jump seats in the back. So you had a tiny truck with four wheel drive, a flat four, t tops in some cases, right, and seats in the bed. Unheard of! It was just the weirdest. And t- yeah, the t tops were kind of really crazy. Uh, we actually tried to buy one. I remember we test drove it. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was it was pretty slow and it was in pretty bad shape. Uh, and they had two generations of Brats, right? Uh, and that's another one I'd like to buy, but they're also very hard to find. And, and the reason both like 
the Brat and the XT and the DLs are hard to find is because uh, Subaru did not use the highest quality of metals. And since they lived in places like Portland where it rained all the time or here in Colorado where it snows, uh, they rusted away. Yeah, they. that's kind of an understatement. They just – they basically rot away if you sneeze on them. <laughs> they, they just really struggle in any kind of a wet environment to maintain – um, their body panels. Not the old ones. But that's the same with pretty much every 70s Japanese car. Right? Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the Corollas, all of them. All, all of them, them kind, just, of, kind of went away. Right. Um, uh, and so the Brat uh, eventually turned into the Baja, right? So Yeah, in the uh, early 2000s. Yeah, in the early 2000s. So Subaru did keep up. And, it, and now um, there is a resurgence of that kind of a vehicle, right? It's like El Camino, um, Baja. Brat, right, where it's basically um, a ute, right? The Australians would call it a ute. It's basically a sedan that had the back seats chopped up and put uh, replaced with a bed. Right. Uh, so those cars are making a comeback because Hyundai's coming out with a Santa Cruz very shortly, which is basically another car like that. Yep. Uh, but we're way ahead of us. So so um, number three was the XT. Number one was the Brat. What was the one in the middle? Your grandma had it. Uh, that was the... SVX. Yep. So that was the 90s. Uh, and, and the SVX is an interesting story because all throughout the 80s, you had the Subarus, like the Justies and the, and the Leons and the Brats, were very, very purposeful cars, but not very exciting. Yeah. Right? I mean, they were extremely good off-road. They were slow. Let's they were very it. slow. They were slow. Very slow, yeah. And in fact, I was watching this 80s commercial on the XT, yeah. and it was this uh, old guy farmer, right? And he had this, this son who's like a, a yuppie. And his, the dad, the farmer, says, I want you to go out and buy a Subaru because that's all we've owned. They lived on a farm. And then it cuts like this 80s music and this wedge thing blasting through these country roads. And, and he shows up and the dad's like, I thought I told you to buy a Subaru. And the son's like, I did. And it was the XT. And they took that to the next level in the 90s with the SVX, which was their second attempt at a really it sporty design. Coupe. It was an Italian design car. Uh, so they outsourced the design to um, um, whatever his name is, Giorgio, whatever. I, I, I never can pronounce his Was name. Was it Gijaro? Yeah, I think so, yeah. He, and he did this kind of jet canopy. That, and what made that car unique, and I haven't seen any other cars that actually had this, is they had kind of a window within a window. So the idea was uh, you could only uh, roll the windows up about two-thirds of the way. And, and the top part of the window was actually... Um, kind of a window that kind of bowed out, mm-hmm. uh, and so what? What they used to what they used to tell me was that you could actually drive that car in the rain and not get any water into it. That's crazy. Yeah, that's absolutely crazy. Yeah, yeah. And so your grandma had it. Um, we, uh, you and your mom, drove it out here to Colorado uh, because it was a great car in the snow. Uh, it was uh, really stylish, and it actually took Subaru away from that kind of quirky design to more mainstream, elegant design right. uh, with you know big, big kind of exhaust pipes that, that are not very popular. It actually has the same exhaust pipes that are on our Silverado; these kind of squinty, wide exhaust pipes. Um, it had um, you know a, a boxer engine that produced, I believe, it was 220 horsepower, so it was actually pretty. Um, Punchy uh, and um, you know four seater two door coupe capable in the snow uh, nice to look at uh, and those are available you can actually find those those are out there uh, people like them your cousin still has one and if you kind of there was a big transition that happened in the early nineties where Subaru went from designing 
basically shoeboxes to actually making very off-road worthy shoeboxes, but to making more round out, rounded out, more on-road worthy cars. So you saw, you know, the Impreza, uh, the Legacy, all these cars throughout the '90s. The SVX still had four-wheel drive, uh, more all-wheel drive. Then they went to more permanent solutions rather than having to pull a lever. So they, they kind of transitioned to all-wheel drive, and then they, they, they also transitioned to, to lower vehicles, right? So the ground clearance decreased, and they, they became much more streetable. But they were still definitely a, uh, a hint toward the off-road capability of the 80s. And uh, when you start looking at like the early 2000s um, and even the late 90s, that's when you saw the emergence of the Outback and the Forester, and the that era of Subaru are pretty amazing. I would love love to actually get like like the first generation Outback from when they started lifting the legacy wagon, you know, up and putting the, the nice wheels and the cladding on it. And then the first couple generations of Forester are extremely capable. So they they they, they went from making low sleek cars in the nineties to kind of going back more toward the off road spectrum. Well, here's the magic in Subaru, Tommy, and Subaru was able to do something that um, in the last 10 years that a lot of companies that tried to do it could not do it. And let me give you an example of two companies that tried to do it. So they went from being a small niche brand, right? I mean, Subaru was selling less than 100,000 units for a long time in America, a long time. And this is, you know, keep in mind that Ford sells 400,000 F-150s every year, and Subaru, you know, could not sell over 100,000 combined vehicles. And then what they did, and this is the magic that, that other brands were not able to do, is they were able to take this quirky vehicle that had a very loyal following in very specific geographic locations in America and blow it out and make it mainstream. And other brands that tried that that failed were Saab, right? GM tried to do that with Saab. They purchased Saab and they tried to make it kind of less of a professor car and more of a general brand and failed miserably at it. And in fact, it failed so much that the brand no longer exists. Uh, Scion tried to do the same thing, right, where they try to go from this kind of niche, cool, um, hip brand into more of a general brand, failed as well, had to roll it back into Toyota. Uh, so, so history is littered with brands that have tried to go from being small and quirky and unique and having a very loyal following to being mainstream. And this is where we get into um, why Subarus are both great and terrible off-road, because in order to do that, Right, they in a way, um, I, I wouldn't say they, they didn't abandon their off-road heritage, but what they did was they adopted a new heritage and a new thing, which was fuel economy. And the way they did that was uh, they started putting, well, three letters. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's the CVT. Yeah, they started putting the CVT, the continuously variable transmission, which actually all the Japanese manufacturers jumped on. Right, so Subaru is certainly in the forefront of the CVT. Uh, along with Nissan, but all the manufacturers did. None of the Germans did it because they hated them, uh, I suspect. I'm, I'm not. The, the Germans jumped really heavily into it, actually, in the early 2000s. And then they jumped right out of and it. And then they jumped right out of it. Yeah, so like Mini had CVTs. Um, Audis were using CVTs for Audi, a while. Uh, those are the only two. I don't, BMW never had a CVT, as far as I'm aware. Mercedes uh, never had a CVT. Uh, I'm not so sure So, so the Germans didn't jump. So Audi had an A4 with a – there was an A4 convertible that had a CVT. And you're right, Mini had a CVT, but that was – Arguably, oh no, Mercedes British. did use it barely. Yeah, they, they they did they did use it for a while. 
Yeah. No, no. Uh, it was probably in one car for a short amount of time. Looks like the B class had the CVT. All right. There you go. Like I said. Anyway, so Subaru jumped in with, you know, into the deep end with the CVT uh, because it gave them good fuel efficiency. So Subaru went from building regular transmissions, and what I mean by that is either manuals or automatics, mm-hmm. um, and basically not double down but quadruple down on CVTs. And this is where we get to the part where, where Subarus are bad off-road. Because um, I can't, th- I can only think of one transmission that is actually worse off-road in a car. Because let's face it, C- CVTs are used in almost every side-by-side out there, except for the Honda Talon. Uh, so they do work in um, snowmobiles, they work in side-by-sides, but in cars, they just do not work off-road. So there's only one transmission I can think of that's actually worse than a CVT off-road, and that's a dual clutch. Uh, but unfortunately for Subaru. Uh, from an off-road perspective, uh, most of their cars that are purchased now are equipped with CVTs. And yeah, I'm talking about the Outback, the Crosstrek, you know, the the, the ones that people um, would take off-road. Yeah, and the way it, this this kind of happened in the 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 late 2000s, you know, 2010s, it, the, the transition began, and the Forester went to a CVT. And the automatic trims, and then you know Outback and um, a Crosstrek, uh, Impreza, Le- Legacy. And, but the great thing about those is they still offered manual transmission options, right? And Until then, recently, and then those kind of started disappearing too. So the Outback's not available in and, manual. And, Forester's not available in and manual. This is where we get into more recent history with TFL and how we got on the wrong side of uh, Subaru's PR team, who does not like us. Uh, and that is, we took a Subaru off-road, uh, and we showed that what the Subaru will do when it gets into loose soil, right, so sand, any kind of loose environment where the wheels do not have traction, in order to protect the CVT. So let's talk about a CVT. A CVT is basically a cone with a belt that goes around the cone, and the belt goes up and down the cone depending on, on what the throttle is doing. Sure. Yeah. Sure, that, that's a very basic. That's a very basic. And unlike a traditional transmission where you're taking two gears, and I'm doing this with my fingers, and you're meshing them, right, like this, right, where, the, where there's a physical connection so that the gears are connected, a CBT doesn't have that. The belt can actually start to slip over that cone, and you can actually burn out the belt. And it happens a lot on, like, side-by-sides. There, the belts burn out when you really push them, and then you replace the belts. Unfortunately, in a car, those belts are usually made of me- not not rubber or silicone, but they're made of metal, and they're very hard and expensive to replace. And so in order for a car to actually spin its tires, you have to lock down that belt. And what Subaru and many manufacturers do is that they decided that uh, in order to, for you not to burn up that belt, not to break the transmission, the car will actually cut power to the wheels instead of um, burning up the, 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 the CVT. Right. And so what will happen in, in many modern Subarus is if you're in a situation where there's lo- soft sand, and like a Jeep will just keep spinning its tires until it digs itself into the ground, mm-hmm. a Wrangler, right? A Subaru won't do that. A Subaru, you'll floor it, you'll spin, and then, then the X-Mode decides there's no traction, and eventually, no matter how far you put your foot into the accelerator, the tires and wheels will stop spinning because you don't want to burn out the CVT. Now, what Subaru's been doing is... They're still using the same basic um, concept of the CVT, but they've been they've been using metal chains, right, which right. is supposed to be more durable and provide a more solid feedback. But the issue with the CVT is it's a very efficient way to transmit the power to the ground. But when you take off in a CVT, 
there is that there's there's like that that, that brief moment where on a, on a on a manual transmission you use a clutch, an automatic you use a torque converter. On the CVT, you start running into some slip issues that generates heat at right. low speeds, and especially when rock crawling, right? right? Or rock crawling is harsh, going up really steep hills. Right. And the old ones really had big, big issues with these. The new ones have gotten better at it. But uh, what what the car does is it limits the power, so you don't build a lot of heat into the transmission, so you don't actually start burning up the the, the transmission. It won't let you right. disintegrate the transmission. Right. And so and so so what. Um, what Subaru has done to mitigate that, which is the same thing that every other manufacturer has done, except that Subaru has, you know, decided to call their uh, system X mode, right, is they have basically a traction control system in place that uh, using ABS sensors on the wheels decides which wheel and tire has traction and which one doesn't. And so in conjunction with the ABS, uh, the system will try to allocate power to whichever wheel has traction, just like most modern vehicles. And Tuber's done a really good job in branding that, calling it X-Mode, right? So uh, when you push that X-Mode button, it, it lets the vehicle know that it's off-road uh, and that there might be wheel spin detected. So uh, what will happen is if, let's say, you're going up a hill uh, and all of a sudden the left wheel is spinning, left front wheel is spinning, it's all-wheel drive, it'll send power to the right wheel, which isn't spinning, and help you get up that hill. And that works really well in very in, in most instances. Once again, once you get into you know someplace where it's steep or deep, um, if you have a Jeep with locking differentials, a Wrangler, right, that wheel will keep spinning until you bury yourself or until you burn off the tire or until you let go of the throttle. In the Subaru, let's say it detects wheel spin on the left wheel, sends part of the right wheel. The right wheel also has wheel spin. Eventually, it will cut power to both wheels and you'll be, you'll be dead in the water. That's the bad part. The good part, right, I said they're good and bad off-road, is that they still have really good uh, ground clearance. So almost every Subaru has 8.3 inches of ground clearance, which is about 2 inches more. Oh, more than that, Dad. Well, 8.7. 8.7, which is about 3 inches more than most family vehicles have. Yeah, and the the thing is, is the engines are very well suited for the terrain, and the all-wheel drive system is very well suited for the terrain. So you really have three components, the engine, the transmission, the all-wheel drive. Engine... Flat fours, most of them are turbocharged now, a lot of torque. Uh, all-wheel drive system, symmetrical all-wheel drive. So unlike a lot of the competitors, which are a slip and grip system, where the front wheel slip before it sends power to the rear, yeah. uh, the symmetrical all-wheel drive is always active, sending some amount of torque to all four wheels. The weak spot in that is always a transmission, though, because it will... It, the, the, the programming will cut power to the engine and therefore cut power to the wheels, so it does not grenade the transmission. Now, I used to be really upset about this. And I really used to be grumpy about it because they aren't very good at hill climbing uh, for any kind of slow maneuvers across, you know, ditches and ravines. They have issues even when you turn the traction control off. But I've kind of come to accept it now. And I'm, I'm for the most part, okay with it. I, I, I think that the new Subarus are probably in some cases better than their competition off-road because of that ground clearance. As long as you don't point them up anything really steep, it will get you to your campsite. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You know, in, in like I say, eighty percent of the situations. Our friend Ryan from Driving Sports does really good Subaru reviews. So Ryan, I enjoy watching your reviews. Uh, but unfortunately, like in his reviews, he'll take his long-term Subaru up basically a rocky road, right? And there's, I think, one place where the thing kind of gets off kilter. And we're not talking about that, right? We're not talking about like going to your cabin in a snowy situation. 
right? We're talking about Moab quality off-roading where uh, oftentimes you're in very steep situations, you're in loose sand, you're maybe, you know, in extreme uh, situations where only one wheel has traction, right? This is the kind of off-roading that, 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 that like Toyota 4Runners, uh, Jeep Wranglers do, right? And, right. And, and, and I understand Outbacks aren't Wranglers and they're not 4Runners and they're not, uh, you know, hardcore off-roaders. But at the same time, once upon a time, Subaru... Uh, kind of always punched above their weight class in terms of its off-road ability. And now Subaru still, I think, advertises that these are really good off-road because of X mode, uh, but I don't think they punch above their weight class. I think what Subaru has done is they've built a fuel-efficient tall wagon which is, you know, which is what it is. It's, it's really a crossover now uh, that is good to getting you to a ski condition or, or I'd say to your cabin off-road. But if you really want to go do serious overlanding where you're going to get into some tricky situations or if you want to go do some serious off-roading, the vehicle just won't do it and it, it won't be happy doing it. But I think that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, I agree. But but but, but I mean, I don't understand why you're grumpy because I'm I'm grumpy you, because you, because you, that that old DL did everything that a Jeep Wrangler will do, uh, and we've got a challenge out there. And let me, let me put it out there again. We really want to prove this prove uh, this point that either I'm wrong or right. So um, you know, the old DL did fins and things, uh, did the same course that we've taken. Uh, the Jeep Gladiator on, the Jeep Wrangler on, named the pickup truck, and it did it. And, and you did a great job driving it. And I, I, I have this sinking feeling that the new Subaru can't do it. When you have a, a new vehicle with all the technology that isn't as good off-road as the old one, a 78, then I think you've kind of lost your way. I disagree because the, the new Subarus aren't targeted for Moab. It, they just aren't. I mean, if you're using the word forerunner, under this, promise, over deliver. I don't. I don't. I, I think if you're using the word forerunner in your in your comparison, you're, you're using the wrong word. You got to use words like Rav Four or Highlander because that's kind of more of the audience. I and, agree. And um, I think it's fine that it won't do Hell's Revenge because I didn't say Hell's Revenge or fins and things. I think it's totally fine that a new Subaru would struggle on fins and things because here's my justification. What did we have to do to get that Subaru to Moab? We put it on a trailer. Yeah, but we did, we could have driven it there. But it would have been miserable. Well, because it's a 1978 car that's underpowered and high. But we, I would have been happy to drive that yeah. there, Tommy. But that car is so – it's a time capsule. Wait, wait, wait. No, I completely disagree. The reason we didn't drive it to, to, to Moab was I didn't want to put an additional 1,000 miles on it because it's got 53,000 miles. It's a, it's a pristine example of – uh, you know, a survivor, and I, I would have had no problem actually being in the car and driving it. I, th- I think that would have been fun. I just didn't want to put additional miles on it because it's so unique and so rare. It might be the lowest mile mileage DL okay. in America, and, and driving it, you know, 600 miles there and back would have proved nothing. But there's a fact to be made here, right? Yeah. That car will do maybe 80 miles an hour brand new right. on flat terrain. Right. In the mountains, you're looking right. at 50. The new Subarus aren't as good off, off-road, I agree. But the new Subarus will also do um, 75 up any pass with air conditioning and heated seats and a full yeah, well, suite so of So will Highlander and so will any other comp- – you can't yes. compare – No, right. no, but, but here's the point. You sacrifice the off-road ability for the comfort. I, my point was once upon a time, Subarus under-promised and over-performed. Today, I think they do the opposite. Yeah, but they, they off-road. Over, they, off-road. Yeah, off-road. I know, but you can't have – I was watching a Subaru commercial and the commercial is like – you know, a couple's driving a Subaru out back, and they get to a fork in the road. And one is a dirt road, and one is a regular road. And they're like, Subaru makes this pitch, right? You've got a Subaru. You can take the dirt road, right? 
And so in their advertising, what they're saying is this is a car built for going off-road, right? That's what that, that's what that two roads, one's paved, one isn't paved. And I'm saying, I'm saying I think that the old ones were actually better at it than the new ones. Yes, and, you, we ha- and we have this challenge out. So, by the way, the, let me finish the challenge, right? So the challenge is if you guys can take an Outback uh, and do the same thing in fins and things that we did, we will make you a YouTube star. We will film it. Uh, call us, email us at uh, info at TFL Car. Bring your Outback to fins and things. We'll film it and we'll make you YouTube famous. It has to be a new one. To yeah, yeah, a new one, of course. A new one, yeah. yeah a new the, Outback. The, the, yeah, I don't want a 20 year old Outback. Um, and, and the other thing that you can't, or it's very hard to do, and this is not just Subaru, it's any modern um, vehicle with independent suspension, it's hard to lift, right? One of the things you always want to do is get more ground clearance, get better wheel articulation. And um, Subarus, even the older ones, are hard to lift just because they're independent suspension. And the reason for that is if you have a solid axle, which is a much more basic form of suspension, right? Um, What you have is basically like a Jeep has a ladder frame and then underneath are two axles that are solid. And you could put a spacer between those axles and the ladder frame and and raise the vehicle up. And that's relatively easy to do. It's just a puck lift. It's much harder to do that with a car with independent suspension. And a car with independent suspension in general is much better on road than it is um, than, a, than, a, than a solid axle vehicle. So uh, you gain something, but you lose something. What is the only thing that makes that Subaru so good off-road or old one? There's only one thing that makes it good off-road. Well, it's got great departure, approach and departure okay, angles. three things. <laughs> approach and departure, <laughs> ground clearance. But the big one, what's the big one? It certainly isn't tires. No, it's weight. Yeah, that's true. Weight, weight is the single thing that makes that so good off-road. And, and the, approach departure the new ones, and breakover. That's a 2,000-pound car. The new ones are 4,000 pounds, right? Right. But the reason they're 4,000 pounds is because they're quick and they're comfortable and they're refined. That car isn't quick, comfortable, or refined, the old one. And that's fine. I, would, I will happily look, sacrifice the off-road capability to, to live in, a, in an accident over three miles an hour. Look, I, I, I think, you know, you, 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 you just to help me clarify something. I think the reason I'm grumpy about it is, you know, we uh, did some testing, what was that, seven years ago, showing what the vehicle can and cannot do. And ever since then, the Subaru PR team has uh, disliked us and refused to work with us. And I think I, I, think I do have, a, a, you know, a grudge, not against the brand, I hope, but against the team because of that, right? I feel like we did our job, uh, and uh, maybe they did their job. Maybe their job is to show that the car is, you know, great in all aspects. And so that's why they stopped giving them to us. But I feel like, you know, we did our job, and we try to be fair and we try to be equitable. Uh, and in exchange for that, you know, we got blacklisted by Subaru. And, and that hurts. And so maybe maybe that's part of the chip on my shoulder. I, I think that's, that. that is part of it, yeah. But I think it's important to keep in mind that the cars are still, relative to their competitors, probably better off-road than most of the competitors. Um, and Outback is going to be better off-road than another lifted wagon. It's going to be better off-road than well, a, let's, let's talk about that. Than so, a so, so, Volvo. So recently, and I mean very recently, a lot of the competitors have decided that people really love off-roading. They love overlanding, and they're bringing a lot of kind of their off-road uh, cred, I guess is a good word, to their car. So an Outback competes directly with a RAV4. Let, let's look directly, at, right? No, Forrester. Forrester competes. Let, let's look at Forrester. It's a okay. good example. Forrester competes directly with RAV4, CRV, Escape. So, so I, I would say apples to apples, uh, any vehicle, and this doesn't have to, it doesn't have to be a Subaru. So the Subaru will have more ground clearance. Right. Uh, and it'll, that's great. It'll probably have better approach and departure. It might have better approach, but but that's so we end up buying an Outback 
because Subaru didn't give us one, uh, wouldn't lend us one. I should say give us one. They were never going to give us one, but give us one for review. So we ended up buying one. And you know what? I fell in love with that vehicle. I just, I, I really love that Outback. I thought uh, as an everyday mainstream vehicle, it had everything I wanted. It had a, a cool four-cylinder engine. It was a little underpowered, but that's okay. It had incredible fuel economy. Everything was just honest and worked like it should. You know, there was tons of room in the back, so if you had a dog, it would be a great vehicle for that. And our friend Sophie and I just bought an Outback for that same reason, right? right. As, as a package, it, it, it is really good off-road. But, but, here's the but. Um, if you put that up against any car with a traditional transmission, with a torque converter, that torque converter will always be better. Yeah, but the car is going to be worse. But the torque converter will, I think the car, given apples to apples, even if I it's disagree. Got, I, I, think, so, I think the traditional transmission car will go farther, go up a steeper hill, go into deeper off-roading than com- the car with a CV. It doesn't have to be a Subaru. Any car with no, a CVT. No, I, I completely disagree. Because, for, let, let's, look at, let's go back, for example, Forrester, right? right. CVT. Right. But it's got a lot of ground clearance. Right. I just had the opportunity to take the um, RAV4 off-road. Right. The new adventure. No, the, more than that. The TRD Pro. Not a good experience. Not at all. The TRD off-road, that was not a good off-road experience. Taking the CRVs off-road, not great. Um, escape, well, we've actually taken a lot of those yeah, escape off-road Equinox, None of them are very good. I, and I haven't taken a new Forester off-road, but I'm confident that that car would be better off-road. Why are you off-road. confident? Because it's got better angles. I mean, you can have a torque converter in a NASCAR, but you're not going to get to where you're going to go because it doesn't have ground so, clearance. So, so the closest, since we haven't had any of the newest ones, the closest one we could we could talk about was the Forester that we had. And the Outback. The Outback. When we buy a car, we're, we're more likely to put it into more extreme conditions just because it's our money that we're spending. And if we break it, uh, you know, I feel much more comfortable breaking our own car than putting a manufacturer's car in harm's way, right? It's like when you borrow something from somebody, you want to treat it with the utmost respect uh, and not put it in harm's way. And we put that car uh, up uh, the hardest test we had at that time, which was Gold Mine Hill, right? Yep. Uh, there were three stages before they closed it. The first stage is very hard. And it did well, mm-hmm. right? Uh, the second stage, it took a little bit of work to get up the second stage. Yeah. Uh, and the third stage, it did, but the only reason it did it was because we, we really pushed it hard, right? Yeah. We, we really pushed it. I mean, more so than we had pushed any manufacturer car. And what ended up happening is basically the third stage, there was a big hole. There was a big hole. And what you end up doing is putting the car off kilter so that you only two wheels have traction. That's the That was the whole trick behind it. Or one wheel at some point, right? But but basically, it's like only two wheels have traction. And the car couldn't do it, couldn't do it. I'm like, you know, you could smell it. I'm like, Tommy, keep going, keep going, keep going. And eventually, you kept going. You were driving it, right? Yeah. You kept taking a run at it, taking a run at it, and and you moved the car over so that it went from being two wheels to being three wheels, and then it went up the hill. Right. But, but man, we worked hard. I mean, I, I agree. There are situations where you get a Subaru in and it won't work. It, I mean, the, it'll get stuck. But you'll be able to get to those situations where you won't in some of the competition. So, like, for example, the TRD Off-Road RAV4. 42, I don't want to take a dump on the TRD Off-Road. But it was 19-degree approach angle. Right. It was scraping on all sorts of little ruts and, and divots. And I don't think you would in the Forester because it's a 23-degree approach. Yeah, I, I agree. I think you'll have more approach and departure angles on the Forester. But 
put that TRD into soft sand and put the Subaru into soft sand and see what each one will come well, out of it. we should try it because I think the Forester would do okay. I, th- I really do think it would do okay. And when we did it, up a steep hill, it just, you know, floored nothing. And and it's a it's you know it's it's an issue that maybe has gone away over the years uh, because it's been seven years now that we've been able to do that test. But we had that same issue come up last year or was it two years ago when we had the one that we bought. Once again, uh, you know, it would cut power. You were going up that stage, or you'd have it floored, and nothing was happening. I, I remember walking around the camera. And I'm like, Tommy, are you floored? Front front driver's wheel wasn't spinning. Front passenger wheel wasn't spinning. Rear driver's wheel wasn't spinning. Rear passenger wheel wasn't spinning. And I'm like, Tommy, are you floored? And you're like, yeah, I'm floored. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, uh, at and, least and we could get there. I, I really think that in some of its competition, you wouldn't even be able to get to that situation. It, this, this, this is a conversation we're having. And my friend Steve, who I recommended buy an Outback, doesn't care about, right? Because, right? because he lives in Chicago, and what he cares about is, you know, fuel economy and reliability uh, and comfort, and the Outback has provided that, you know, for him over 100,000 miles now. Well, um, let us know in the comment section below what do you think of the modern Subarus in terms of their capability and their fuel economy. And, we, um, and we, two things. The challenge is out there, guys. Yeah. So let, if you have a new Outback and you're willing to put it in harm's way, we're not going to be responsible for, for, for braking. So if it breaks, it's on you guys. Uh, you know, we live on YouTube money. But we would love to make you, you know, YouTube famous. So we'll go out to Moab. Uh, email us at info at TFL Car. We will film you doing fins and things. We'll only fins and things is actually uh, we just ran the whole thing last weekend again, and it gets really hard. There are parts where it, you know I think uh, on the scale of one to ten, what is what is what do they consider it? Like it's only a four. It's like a four, but the, right. like the, there are parts where it it's, gets it's much harder. Than a four, it's much yeah. harder, yeah, and you know big built jeeps uh, have issues with it. But we'll only do the front part that's relatively tame uh, and and I w- I'm really curious I want to see you know how how good or not the Subaru will do um, it's an open question still in my mind yeah and um, we love we love to know yeah we'd love to know uh, and um, if you want to look at that video where Tommy uh, took uh, the uh, Subaru uh, DL uh, through fins and things let's let's put a link below uh, or go to TFL um, car.com and just do a search for Subaru DL and you'll see that video in Moab. It, it was quite phenomenal and I was I was amazed at what that little guy could do and you're right, it is because it's lightweight, it's like a little side by side. For sure, yep. Thanks for watching. And see you guys next time. Ciao. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.